before we understand spiritual warfare, we have to understand a lot of the background of of history and mankind and what God's got going on and His purpose and His plans. So we we started off with that the first week and kind of give you a big outline. Last week we talked about um, Ezekiel twenty eight, where prior to Satan's fall, who was he? What uh, where he come from? Uh, and where he's headed to? And this week we're going to kind of connect to that and keep going. But but I want to give you kind of a big picture of the of of the Bible uh, from front to end, and then see where everything fits in it. You know, the Bible talks about uh, God's plan being a mystery, and it's something in a lot of ways that we don't understand every aspect of it. So a lot of the things I'm teaching you, I'm learning during the week as I'm studying. But but when you look at the, when you look at what God's plan is from the beginning to the end. Everything in the scripture starts to make more sense to you and everything in your relationship to the Lord and what's going on in the world makes more sense. If you, you know, if you walked in midway on a movie, uh, or towards the end of it, you, you watched that part of it and you didn't get to see the front, you would be totally confused most of the time about what's going on. And I think there's a lot of times people desire to study God's word and, and don't know how to go about it. So all of a sudden they, they just dive into a book. And it lasts for, you know, a few days. And like, I'm totally confused, don't understand this. And so trying to give you a big picture here so you can see what's going on and then everything else fits into that. But last week we studied in Ezekiel 28 that we see Satan's position and his nature prior to the fall, the fact of his radiance and his glory absolutely come only from the Lord. And uh, when he rose up in pride and rebelled against God, it turned to darkness because of that pride, because his desire to be worshipped above God. Uh, God judged him, cast him down, stripped him of the glory of God. This is prior to the creation of man, possibly. Okay, I'm going to give you some things as possibly um, that could have happened. We, we know that angels, according to Job 38, were here during the time of the laying of the foundations of the earth. As far as the exact time when Satan was cast down, uh, we know that he was in the Garden of Eden prior to his fall, uh, and he was cast down sometime between that. We don't know exactly when, but we know that he was cast down. Jesus said in the Gospels, I saw Satan fall as lightning to the earth, and, and that's at the time of his fall uh, when he fell. Now... Here's a question I've thought about, and a lot of people have asked me, why Why did God allow Satan to continue rather than simply casting him into the lake of fire, immediately pouring out his wrath? I'm going to say, we know that when Satan fell, according to Revelation chapter 12, that he took one-third of the angels with him. So there was a rebellion uh, in heaven against God, Satan leading that rebellion, and one-third of the angels follow him. And that's what we see in the New Testament when the Bible speaks of unclean spirits or, or casting out devils and demons. It's fallen angels who rebel against God and they, they were cast out of their first estate like it talks about in the book of Jude. Reserved unto a day of judgment. So why, why did God allow him to continue? Why did God, you know, not just deal with him at that point in time? We only have suggestions. Don't know for sure, but here are some of the, here are some of the suggestions I got for you. Number one, the nature of free will and true love. Because free will grants the freedom, and, and I believe that every person is created with free will. Angels were given free will by God. And, and so in that, free will grants freedom to choose along with the consequences apart from immediate wrath. 
And you see that all uh, God's dealing with the angels, God's dealing with man. God does not immediately pour out wrath. The Bible speaks of his long-suffering, and there's an extended period before a final judgment there, okay? Not that angels can be redeemed or that they can be saved, but... But think about this, if God gave free will to the angels and Satan chose to rebel along with the others and God immediately poured out wrath, then everybody else is going to follow him not out of love but out of fear. God doesn't want you to worship him out of uh, out of a, an afraid fear. Now there's a fear, a reverent fear the Bible speaks of, but God created us with free will so that we have the capacity to whether we want to choose to worship God or whether we want to choose uh, to follow after darkness and sin and ourselves and worship whatever it is that we choose to worship rather than God. Check me out. All the way through the scriptures, that's the choice that was given when Adam was placed in the garden. The Bible said that he told Adam, of all of the trees of the garden, you're free to eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't partake of that tree. Okay, he's giving him a choice there, whether he would be obedient, whether he would follow and trust God and, and who God was and God's goodness because God gave him everything else. And then he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a picture of the law. God wanted a, a grace-based relationship with man. He established that based upon his goodness that he provided everything that man needed. Okay, And it was good and it was very good. And he said, but, but I want you to choose whether or not you're going to obey me. And, and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there. And then remember, over in, uh, I, think, I believe it's the book of Joshua, yeah, Joshua 24, 15. Remember after Joshua, the picture of Jesus, when he, when he came to the end and the land was conquered and, and uh, it was coming to its end, he stood before the children of Israel and he said, Choose you, you choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so God gives us a choice of who we will serve and who we will worship. And so therefore, allowing Satan uh, to continue would be a picture of God's free will and the consequence of it, knowing that he will face God's wrath one day. Okay. Also, God is also very gracious to people or, or creation that rebels against him. Remember what Jesus said? He said, God sends rain upon the just and the unjust. God's not just good. To, to, to save people. God's good to everybody. Any, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, all of the goodness in your life, the Bible says, comes from God, even as you rebel against God. Even as you, even as you live a life that is totally contrary to God's Word, you don't care whether you walk in obedience to God, you don't care about the honor and glory of God, you're all about you and what you want and what your desires are, God is still good to you. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's not religion. It's you knowing how sorry you really are. If we are honest with ourselves and we looked at our lives and we looked at, at God's holiness and we looked at God's word, if we were honest, we'd have to say, especially in a lost state, I didn't obey God. I didn't care about God. I didn't care whether God liked what I had going or not. really didn't want God to figure it out because I was afraid he might judge me. But as far as my heart wanting to appeal to the love of God and showing love to God and worshiping God and honoring and obeying God's word. A lost person doesn't have that heart, but you know what? God loves lost people. He loves sinners. He sent his son to show that love. Even while we were yet sinners, the Bible said Christ died for us. So it's God showing lost people his goodness and his kindness that brings them to the reality of, man, this is an amazing love. Y'all with me? And so think about this. Even after Satan's fall, I want to I very be clear that God is sovereign. 
And in God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty means that He can create us with free will, allow us to make our own choices, even when our choices are are rebellious and against Him, and He is still in control. He is still sovereign, okay? You know, there are those who believe that the sovereignty of God means that, that God has to make every choice and cause everything and do everything in order for Him to remain sovereign. It would be as if a man playing chess with himself had to be able to make, you know, playing against himself would make his own moves. Now, what would be more impressive, a man who played against himself, you know, in a chess tournament and he continued to win or a man who allowed whatever opponents who wanted to to step up and he continually every time won the game. And that's what God does. God says, I don't need to have to control people and cause this and cause that and do this and do that. God's sovereign. And even when Satan works for good, I mean works for evil, God takes it and uses it for good. Romans 8.28 says he works all things for our good according to his purpose, okay? For those who are called and love God. And so... So in that, God's sovereign. Satan Satan doesn't step out of the sovereignty of God when he rebels against God. God's plans and purposes are not hindered by Satan or by any man. He's not subject to anyone. And I want to read this verse to you in Psalms chapter 2. Actually, God laughs at man's plans to rebel. Psalm chapter 2 verse 1 said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? <coughs> Excuse me. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven shall laugh. God's like, you know what? You can, it don't matter if you're a king. It don't matter how great you see yourself as. It don't matter if you're Satan. It don't matter what your plans are to go against me. I laugh at that. But you know why? Because he sits on the throne and he's sovereign and in control of everything. God doesn't wring his hands and walk in worry when man makes evil choices or when, or when Satan and his angels come against the God's people or, or God's plan. God's like, I, this doesn't bother me whatsoever because I had this all figured out way before you ever made your first chess move. And so in that, I <clears throat> wanted, wanted you to know that it's not like Satan, just because he rebelled, he stepped out of the realm of God's control and God's wondering how it's all going to work out. God, God's already said how it's going to work out and it's going to work out exactly how he says and how he's playing. And everything is in God's control. It doesn't shock him. When, when Satan made that, that choice and it doesn't shock him when we make stupid choices and he's already made provision for that according to his foreknowledge. Now, now we're going to get to man. So after Satan falls, okay, sometime during that time, maybe right after, maybe prior to that, when Satan fell, God created all the heavens and the earth as it talks about in Genesis chapter one and he created man in his image. That's the only thing in the Bible that it speaks about in the image of God. And so when Adam was created, it means in the image of God, number one, he was an eternal being. The Bible says eternity is written upon our hearts. We're eternal beings. These people who say, well, I, don't, I believe death is the end. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't believe death is the end. You know, in, your, in the recess in the heart of your mind, you might hope that it's the end because you don't believe God. But in every heart of every person, person, uh, the Bible says eternity is written on our heart. We know that there is something far beyond this life. It means that he was created in the reflection of God's character, his nature, his intelligence, his beauty. And so to look upon Adam and Eve was to be reminded of the goodness and the power and the glory and the splendor of God. One of the reasons Satan hates mankind so much. And so I want you to look real quick. 
We'll get back to Romans. I want you to look real quick in Isaiah chapter 14. Look in Isaiah chapter 14. Make you some notes because you won't remember this. After Satan's fall, Satan's plot's clearly seen. Isaiah 14 is speaking of, of Satan here. refers to him as Lucifer. I won't go into it for time's sake of how we know this, but we know for sure uh, that he's speaking of Satan. And he reveals the heart of Satan or the plot of Satan here in what he had in mind. He said, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, now this is after the fall of Satan, this is his point, this is his plot. Show you how stupid he is, because in his heart, he believes he's going to beat God. That's how deceived he is. He has lied to himself. And remember, Satan's not all-knowing. He doesn't know. Uh, he, can look at, he can look at the word of God, and he can say, well, God says he's going to do this, but I don't believe that. That's the rebellion that's in our hearts as lost people, as a lost person, a lost person say, I know God says this, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Okay, that comes from the devil. But he says in verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. This is after he's cast out. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, speaking of the angels. On the farther, or, or I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, talking about the place of God's throne, on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And so, you see, Satan's desire, once God cast him out, and even prior to that, but especially here, after he was cast out, his, his desire was to go, I will be above God. I will be worshipped. The thing is, Satan wants to use mankind to accomplish, and he is using mankind to try to accomplish this purpose. When you look at the scripture, you will see a theme from the beginning of it to the end of who is worthy to be worshipped. There is only one Lord, one God, one King. Satan desires to be that God, that King, but there is only one. His name is Jesus. Okay, <clears throat> So this is where spiritual warfare really begins. Even before man comes into it, we were brought into it. By a stupid choice that Adam made, Adam put us right in the middle of it, but there the warfare is between God and between Satan, okay? And so when you look at this, you remember, and I know I'm covering a lot of scriptures this morning, but remember back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam was placed in the garden. He was in a perfect state, perfect fellowship with God, the reflection and the image of God. Satan comes along. He is in the form of a serpent, subtle, more subtle than all the, more, more deceitful than all the other creatures. And he comes to Adam and, and for time's sake, you know, he, he lies about God. He said, God knows if you take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you'll be a God. And, 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 and so they listened to the lie and they believed the lie. They took of the fruit. Adam fails. Adam falls. And remember, Adam forfeits the authority and the power and the kingdom that God had given to Adam. Now he forfeits it to Satan and it's possible. Okay. Like I say, I believe this is the time when the kingdom of darkness was established. This is when when Satan comes to rule, as the Bible talks about, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago. This is when he becomes the ruler of this world, the God of this age, the spiritual wickedness in high places, the prince of the power of the air, because Adam had that rule. God gave man that authority and that rule in his kingdom, and Adam, because he did not believe God, he went against the word of God, he forfeits that to Satan, and now what happens to man? 
Look in Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Understanding the purpose of salvation helps a lot when you understand where you are and why you're there prior to coming to Christ and why Christ died. A lot of people, most everybody have heard the story of the cross. Most everybody here probably knows before you got here this morning that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and then he rose again. Most people don't understand why that was necessary. Wasn't just, hey, it sounds like a good deal, we'll save some lost people. This, this was absolutely necessary, and that's what we're covering this morning on what caused that to take place. Satan becomes the ruler, okay, but man does what? He becomes a slave. Look in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 and see what that says. Verse 5 said, For if we had been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be, underline your Bible, slaves of sin. At man's fall, and listen to me, you were born after the Adam, or after the nature of Adam. Adam passed his sinful nature and genetics on to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And that's why the Bible says we're all born in sin. Nobody had to teach you to lie, right? Nobody had to teach you to be selfish. When you was a little bitty kid, you know, and you went up snatching your stuff from your brothers or sisters, from other kids, you started fighting with kids and biting them in the, in the, you know, daycare and all that stuff that goes on back there while we're in here. Those kids didn't have to be taught that, okay? As their nature, they received that from their great-grandpa, Adam. And they are slaves to sin. Now, there's a time period, listen to me, there's a time period as a child of innocence, okay? And you say, what happens to a, what happens to a baby if he dies? That baby's in heaven with the Lord. Why? Because there's no account, there's no accountability because he has not become to the knowledge of the law. Picture of the law, the knowledge of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. When you come to the knowledge of sin, whatever age that is, where you recognize I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, I've sinned against God. At that moment, you, you and you alone, not your mom and daddy, not your husband and wife, you are accountable for your, the knowledge of sin. And in that day, you die spiritually, separated from God, no longer innocent. You are held accountable. And you are a slave, a captive, enslaved, imprisoned to sin. And this is what the Bible means by that. You can't stop. You can't quit on your own. We can't. And the devil keeps us captive and slave to sin. Look what it says in verse 16 and 17. Romans chapter 6. It says, Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that you are that one slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God, but God be thanked that you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Talking about you believe the gospel. And it's the gospel that sets the captives free. So prior, if you're here and you're saved, prior to your salvation, you was imprisoned, ruled under the authority of Satan. Look real quick in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at that. If you're here and you're not saved, this is your position before God, okay? And the devil's going to tell you, man, you're good. <clears throat> you got some morals. You haven't ever killed anybody, you know, and all these different things. You're all right. Some people try to go about, you know, if you just join a church and get baptized, none of that stuff sets you free. It doesn't say, think about this, a person literally, 
out here in TDC who is a prisoner, okay, that person can say, you know what, I'm going to go in and take a shower and I'm going to wash off. They might be in there for murder or theft or rape or, or whatever it is there. I'm going to go in and I'm going to take a shower and I'm going to clean myself up, present myself to the warden. He's going to let me go. No, he's not. Because the shower can't wash away what you accomplished in your heart. You broke the law. You're condemned and that's why you're imprisoned, okay? You have stood before a judge. You're already judged. He's he's not in there trying to work it out and say, man, I hope I'm good enough that I get out. He's already in there because he's been judged for what he's guilty of. We're in prison because we've already been judged by the law of God. I'm going to run out of time this morning, but I'm going to get this point. If you're here this morning... You've already been judged by the law of God. You're not waiting. Don't wait for the day that you stand before the Lord and hope you talk your way out of your sin. That's not the way it works. God gave you his word to say, this is how it works. Have you ever told a lie? All of us here, anybody not told a lie? Let's just make it simple. No hands, okay? That makes us all liars. The Bible said all liars have their part in the lake of fire. One of the commandments is not to tell lies. Okay, not to bear false witness. Have you ever stolen anything, regardless of the value? Most all of us would say, well, I've stolen something, even if it was something out of my mama's purse, or maybe it wasn't from a store or a bank. But if you've stolen something, that makes us all thieves. I'm guilty, okay? Uh, if you've ever looked upon a person in lust, you ever looked upon a person in lust and desired that person, Jesus said, if you even look upon a person in lust, you commit adultery already in your heart. One of the commandments is, thou shalt not commit adultery. Is anybody here not guilty of that? I don't think so. Okay. Last one. The Bible says that um, if you've ever taken God's name in vain, and some of you might go, oh, I I never said that. It's not just saying that. It's if you create the image of God. His name is upon you. And if you act in any way contrary to that image, you're taking God's name in vain. If you ever say, oh my, G-O-D, you're taking God's name in vain. If you ever express anything using the name of God other than in a, in a, a reverent and worshipful way, that's taking God's name in vain. All of us are guilty of that. So we can stop before the Ten Commandments. And out of that right there, we would have to admit that we're lying, thieving, adulterous, blasphemers at heart. Guilty before God. Condemned and in prison already. You're not waiting for judgment. Judgment's already taking place. Okay? And so all of us, as the Bible said, and if the Bible's true, that means I'm a, I'm a slave to sin, or I was prior to, prior to my salvation. I was a slave to sin. I was a captive, and a captive is one when an enemy comes in. If it, Let's say that, that all the Islamic nations come together, and they are, and they come over to the United States of America, and, and there was a war, and we lost it, and they took us captive back to their land and treated us as slaves. That's what Satan has done. He came, he took mankind captive by sin, and now we're in bondage to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, look in verse 2 and 3. It gets better, so y'all stay with me now. We're all guilty. We need some help. Amen. And that's where we got to be. That's the purpose God gives you the law. So you come to a place, you go, what, what do we do if we're guilty? Looking in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 2 and 3. Let me get my place. It says in verse 1, And you he has made alive, who were dead in your trespasses, and you are dead spiritually, separated from God. 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the, talking about Satan here, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit whom now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, which were by nature, notice this, children of wrath, just as the others. Paul is teaching and he's saying, you're not naturally moral. You're not naturally good. You're naturally a child of the devil and a children of wrath. So I don't see myself as that. God does. That's the way we are before God. We're not good. We're naturally evil. We have to teach our kids to be good. Amen? If you ain't teaching them, they probably won't turn out too good if you want to be honest. Okay? So when you look at this, I am condemned imprisoned by my sin, blinded and held captive without hope in this world. And Satan's stronghold in sin is the law of God. His stronghold is sin and death. What makes that? It's the law of God that determines the fate of the sinner. And here's the thing. Satan has, for lack of terminology, a a hold on us, a claim on us because of God's law. Because here's the thing. When you break God's law, God doesn't just go, we'll just let that go. He can't because he's just and he's holy. A murderer doesn't walk into a courtroom under a a just judge and a judge goes, you know what, I'm going to let that go. Even if that murderer is his son, he can't just let it go if he's a just judge. He has to punish it. And that's one one of the things it means that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Not, I don't believe now, but prior to Christ's death and resurrection, Satan entered into the presence of God to accuse you. To accuse the brethren to go, they have to have justice. The law demands justice and justice is death. And that is the stronghold that Satan has over us because of sin and because of flesh. Will y'all give me ten minutes and I'll get you out of here? I gotta do this. Okay, if you need to leave, I'll let you leave. I'm not gonna hold you captive. Look in Exodus real quick. I gotta give you this and then we'll, we'll get to the good part and we'll finish up. They got me up here late anyhow, so it's not my fault. Blame Greg. Crucify him. Exodus chapter 1. You remember when we started this study, I said most of the time you can go back to the Old Testament and you can see a physical picture of a spiritual principle. God teaches us what's going on in the spiritual realm through what has already taken place in the physical in the Old Testament. When you look in Exodus chapter 1, looking in verse 8, now, you remember the children of Israel, they came into the land, they were brought there by Joseph, they were basically in an innocent state, and then it, they were under a Pharaoh who was good. In verse 8, <clears throat> this is a picture of Satan coming to power as the ruler of this world. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. You ought to underline that because it's a good point here. Come and let us deal shrewdly with them. Why? Lest they multiply, and it happens in the event of war, talking about spiritual warfare, that they also join our enemies and fight against us and go up out of the land. We're going to be called up out, right? Verse 11, therefore they set taskmasters, a picture of demonic angels, over them 
to afflict them with their burdens. He's bringing them into bondage. Okay? He's bringing them into his power and captivity and making them slaves. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. They built for Pharaoh supply cities, Python and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiply and grew. That's what God's people do. And they were the dread and they were in dread of the children of Israel. I love this. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with vigor. Now some of you here are going to be able to identify with this. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar, brick, all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made were served with rigor. It means it was horrible. That's what it means to be in the bondage of sin. Some of you here can go, my life is so difficult. It's so hard. It's just all, I can look back prior to, to coming to Jesus and I can just see it was like a constant battle all the time just to try to make anything go right. Whether it was in my marriage and relationships, whether it was, you know, working, whether it was trying to just, you know, make it in life, it was just a constant and a war in my mind. No peace. And the more that I tried and the more religious I got, I never could find freedom. Never could find peace. And Satan wants to keep People, and listen to me, you can also be enslaved and captive to sin as a child of God. Sin can have a stronghold in your life to bring you into captivity to the point of that it leads to destruction in this life. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. But I'm talking about the fact that there's probably a lot of people in here that you've got some kind of stronghold of sin in your life that leads to division, to destruction, to misery, to depression, And that's a stronghold that you've allowed. Now listen to me. And Satan's going to try to keep you in that prison cell. Might be just the wrong thoughts and not knowing the truth of what God sees of you and has spoken of you. Because here's the cool thing. Why was Pharaoh trying to keep them in bondage? He was scared to death. Get this. You don't get nothing else. He was scared to death of what would happen if the children of Israel connected to his enemies and the power and the victory they would have over him. When we come and unite with Satan's enemy, who is Christ Jesus, listen to me. When we unite with Christ and we're born again and set free, all hell trembles at the power of God in a believer's life. Do you not remember when the disciples went out and Jesus gave them power and authority over unclean spirits and, and they were able to heal and they came back to Jesus. They were so excited. They said, man, we've got power in your name, in your name, not our own. But through you, we have the power even over unclean spirits. It's because Satan knows the power of the name of Jesus. And he knows the power of the blood of Jesus. And he doesn't want you to know that. There's a lot of defeated Christians today living. And like I said last week, we act like we're on the defense. Oh, if I can just keep the devil off me and if I can just make it through this. That's living a life of defeat. God's like, I've given you power over that. You've got the keys to the kingdom, the keys to freedom, the keys to the power. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth is loosened in heaven. We'll get into that a little bit later. Let me finish up and cut you out of here. So at this point, when man comes into the authority of Satan, we have a divided kingdom. Remember what Jesus said? He said, house divided can't stand. Now you have the kingdom of God. It's going to get really good. I'm running out of time. I wish I had two hours with you. But you got the kingdom, what's already taking place in heaven. God's on the throne. Nothing ever changes about that. Okay? And then you've got now Satan's kingdom on earth. Remember what Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Part of his prayer was, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So from this point on, God and man is divided. Sin has divided you from God. And the earth and heaven is divided. You understand what I'm saying? And God has a plan and a purpose long before Satan moved this chess piece. That plan and purpose, it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, won't go there for time's sake. I want you to flip to Colossians real quick. But in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, it says that Jesus, or that God, would reconcile all things both in heaven and in earth, that all things might become one in Christ Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. A divided kingdom cannot stand. There is only one king. Now, Here we are, imprisoned under the ruler of this earth by our sin, who holds the law of God against us, and Christ Jesus goes to battle for us, not in the way that Satan or even man would expect. We expect, why didn't God just, you know, why didn't didn't he do all that? It's because that's what they expected. That's what we would do. And God said, no, I'm going to send my son to become in the flesh of a man who's going to live a life of an humble servant, and who's going to go and die the death of the cross. Like, what? But think about this. Satan didn't know the plan. It was a mystery to him. He was totally oblivious. He didn't know that God was using him to accomplish his purpose. The crowd out there, when Jesus crucified, the crowd was doing what? Crucify him. Crucify him. What was going on in the spiritual realm? All of hell's angels was there prodding those people. Crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus like, yeah. Why did Jesus always say, don't go in? When he healed somebody, don't go tell everybody. Don't go tell everybody. He didn't want to be king at that point. He wanted to go to the cross. He was His purpose was to go to the cross. And he kept it as a mystery. That's why he spoke in parables, all these different things, okay? Let me, I'm going to chop this off and we'll get heavy into it next week. But i got to give you this, okay? This is an awesome ending. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, Colossians chapter 2. Here we are, hopeless, in a prison cell, under horrific conditions in our life. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, you're imprisoned in a cell that you can't possibly escape. You are condemned because of your sin. You face an eternity of God's wrath in hell. That's where you're at. Here's, here's where it gets good. In verse 13, and you being dead in your trespass to sin, the uncircumcision in your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the what? The handwriting of requirements that was against us, all those things of the law that held us guilty before God, had to be punished, which was contrary to us. And notice what Jesus did. He taking it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Man, get this picture. Satan holds all your sins against you. He's the accuser of the brethren. You can't let them off because your justice and your holiness demands that guilty sinners be punished. I don't know if he actually waved it, but he might have just waved your sin before God. They're guilty. They're mine. I own them. They gave their self to me by choice. Adam wasn't deceived. He chose. And he had that waving before God. You know what Jesus did? Give me that. Went to the cross and nailed it. When he was nailed to the cross, the Bible said he became my sin. 
He who knew no sin became sin. He became your sin. He, and this is what happened on the cross. Most, most of you heard me say this, but if, you had, if you're hearing it fresh, get this. When Jesus was on the cross, he stood between you and the wrath of the judge, the wrath of God. And he said, whatever you have coming, whatever they have coming because of their sin, the guiltiness of this, of this law and this list that is against them, punish me in their place. Pour it out. Give me your wrath. Serve justice on me. And God the Father loved us so much. It's amazing that he said, I will, I, and the Bible actually said in Isaiah, he took pleasure. He took pleasure in pouring out wrath upon his son for our sin. And it says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, and he looked upon the torment of Jesus' soul when he was on the cross and he was satisfied. He's like, justice is served. Here's the, and don't, don't, don't miss the last part of this verse right here. He says, he took that which was contrary to us, having taken it out of the way, he nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities of power. Talking about Satan and all of the kingdom of darkness. He disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When he went to the cross, he said, give me your best shot. I'm not going to do this in darkness. I want all the world to see that I am the king of king and the Lord of lords. So you give me your best shot and, and hell poured it out and Jesus absorbed it. Three days later, after our sins were buried in his body, he rose from the grave and he said, I have the keys to your cell. Revelation chapter 1, he who holds the keys of David, Jesus holds the key to any sinner. I don't care how how full your cell is of sin. Jesus said, if you'll come to me, I'll set you free. Now think about this. How many of you, if you were in prison, dead guilty of murder, you're there for life. You're waiting for an electric chair. And a man who holds the power and the authority walks up to your cell and you go, you know what? If you'll, if you'll turn to me, you trust me, I'll open this cell and I'll let you go free. How many of you go, no, I'll just, I'm, I'm over here sawing on it, I'm going to find my way out. I just soon do this. You're going to take away my freedom. In here I've got life. Nobody's over me. Isn't that stupid? That's what the devil's got people here today confused of and blinded. Jesus said, you're in prison. I want to set you free. I want to give you life. I'm going to wipe away everything. It's already been paid for. Listen to me. If you die and go to hell, you die and go to hell with your sins. Nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. You just didn't receive the freedom he offered you. So, that's what he did. He come to set us free. And at the cross, he crushed the devil in his kingdom. Now he's reconciling, restoring, and renewing all things. And he allows mankind to be a part of that. When you're born again, you're not just a child, you're signed up as a soldier. And we have the opportunity to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accomplish on earth what's already been accomplished in heaven. And we've got a short time before God's wrath is going to be poured out and this world's coming to a quick end. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. It's not about, hey, a preacher wants me to walk the aisle. I need to be baptized. I'm going to get religious. I'm going to stop, you know, I'm going to try to stop drinking and cussing and it is coming to a place to go, I'm a wretched, hell-bound sinner, guilty in my sin. I have no hope. I'm condemned. And if I die in this way, I'm going to spend eternity in hell, separated from God because of the choice that I made. But I have one hope, one way. And my only hope is if I repent and turn to Jesus, believe what he did for me on the cross, and ask God to show me mercy based upon that, God will forgive my sin. God will pardon Everything that I've ever done. He said, all my trespasses, 
God will grant me eternal life. God will make me alive and bring me back into fellowship with him. And I will rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. That's your choice. You're in one kingdom or the other. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much that you made an open spectacle of our greatest enemy. Lord, that you have totally and absolutely defeated and crushed Satan's head, Satan's plan, Satan's power, and Satan's purpose. He's not God. And I thank you, God, that you demonstrated that in the weakness of flesh, coming as a man, and defeated death and hell on our behalf. You did that because you loved every single person here. God, I just pray if there's someone here, one person, that doesn't know you as their Savior, and they've come to that realization this morning, right where they are, God, they'd humble their heart before you to receive the grace that you freely offer them as you stand in front of them with the keys to their cell this morning. God, would they humble themselves. And I ask you to open that door. And God, as your people, may we see the power that we hold and we start speaking it and we start praying it and we will start living it so that we can see the captive set free in Jesus' name. Amen.